My name is Reverend Jodie Stoll. In the March 2020 lockdown due to COVID-19, I was in one of the few million households who were required to shield because I live with someone who is clinically extremely vulnerable. It's almost a year since that happened. Can you believe it? In that time, we've been under various regulations and we are now in the third lockdown. And for me, back to shielding. The way that I see the world and make sense of my faith in it is now fundamentally impacted by this whole experience. And so this is my podcast, Shielded. You're very welcome here. So welcome to my uh, podcast today. It's really lovely to be with you. This is the fourth week um, of this series and today I'm speaking to Al Barrett um, and I'll let him introduce himself to you in a moment. I've really been enjoying my conversations with lots of really interesting people um, over the last few weeks and I hope you have too. Uh, So if you want to catch up, if you haven't heard them all, um, do catch up on Anchor or Spotify um, or Google Podcasts, among other uh, platforms. Right, here's Al. Great. Uh, So we're now recording and it's uh, my pleasure to welcome Al Barrett, uh, who I'm chatting with this morning. Uh, So Al, I'll hand over to you and you can introduce yourself to us. Thanks, Jodie. Um, so, yeah, my name's Al. I am rector of Hodgehill Church in East Birmingham and have been for coming up to 11 years now. Um, we're a local ecumenical partnership between Church of England and the United Reformed Church. Um, it's a fascinating parish of about 21,000 people just on the edge of the city of Birmingham, um, ethnically very mixed, um, socioeconomically very mixed. Uh, it's an amazing place to be. I'm also um, co-author with Ruth Harley of Being Interrupted, Reimagining the Church's Mission from the Outside In that was published um, at the end of November, which feels like a lifetime ago, but was actually only two months ago. It was great to talk to Ruth a few weeks ago, and obviously she mentioned the the stuff around the book. I mean, what was it like for you when, you know, you were coming up to things uh, being tied together for it being published and that was around the time that we began to realize that COVID was actually going to be this massive interruption I guess into our life how, how did you kind of feel about that when you were tying the book together we've met, mentioned a little bit about how you talked about how you were going to deal with that in terms of the book but how what was that like for you? Sure well they I mean I guess the story of of the book and its delays and interruptions um, goes back further than that in that I had a sabbatical in summer 2019 um, and the plan was to have the book finished during that sabbatical and that was that was at a point where where Ruth was just going to to write a chapter of it and I was meant to do the rest and I I hit my sabbatical and was absolutely exhausted and was spent the first week of it on retreat in uh, the community of the resurrection in Murfield. And by about Wednesday of that week, realised that the retreat was not going to be the time that I would get my laptop out and and <laughs> write the book that was barely started at that point. So I had to send an email when I got back to our, our editor, kind of confessing that the deadline uh, wasn't going to be hit and that I needed more time 
um, and he was very gracious and generous and said uh, we could have until March 2020, uh, which felt like a long, lovely kind of generous bit of time to to kind of get it started and written and finished and and polished. But inevitably, uh, we got to March 2020 um, and just life in general, really, pre-COVID had meant that it hadn't got half as far as it needed to be by that point. Mm -hmm. And I think in those first few weeks of lockdown, Ruth and I were having conversations along the lines of, actually, is this even possible? Yeah. We had, we had two or three chapters to write still at that point that hadn't got started. And we were just saying, you know, can we do this? Do we need to send another groveling email to the editor <laughs> saying, sorry, it's, you know, for the foreseeable future, it's not going to happen. And I think what we did do is send a letter to, send an email to David Shervington at SCM saying, slight change of plan. Life <laughs> seems to have turned upside down a bit. You know, can we have a bit longer? Is that all right? And again, he was very generous and patient and said, yeah, you're not the only ones. Mm -hmm. We realise kind of life, life has changed and we're not quite sure how it's going to pan out. So I think he said, have another couple of months or so. And, and I think, as, as Ruth said, when you talked to her, we had that dilemma of, do we, do we just rewrite the book? You know, you write a book called Being Interrupted, and then this happens, and probably you can't imagine a bigger interruption than a global pandemic and, and what that did to our lives as individuals, as households, as communities, as churches. Or do we say, actually, most of what we've written needs to stand and kind of has some integrity to it but let's acknowledge this and reflect on it and and just acknowledge that it's the early days of this we don't even know how this is going to unfold we don't even know the the big scale impacts of it but but offer some tentative reflections somewhere near the beginning so that's that's what we did um we, we talked to each other on Zoom. Uh, we created a bit of an epilogue together as a conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's really some tentative, wow, this has happened. What is life beginning to look like now? And what and, does being interrupted mean in that context? That, that epilogue, is that um, something that then turned into something which was written down for the book or is it available to listen to? So we we recorded it on Zoom having had a bit of a back and forth via email. So um, we've not managed to share the whole thing yet, but uh, Ruth's been editing little chunks to to share online. So we've, we've shared a few bits of reflection from that, but uh, but yeah, we'd, we'd like to share a bit more, I think. And actually one of those bits was inspired by, I think uh, one or two tweets that you made at that point in time. So, uh, ah, oh, so yeah, yeah, thank you for, for the inspiration that. there. <laughs> yeah, um, so if, if people want to sort of have a listen to that and, you know, it might kind of draw them into getting the book or, or that kind of thing, where, where can they find those little snippets? Um, I think probably the best bet is if you're on Twitter and you search for the hashtag being interrupted, you'll see lots of blurb about our book. But but also buried in the midst of that, um, there are some some little videos from from that conversation. Great, thank you. Thank to you. whet your appetite. Indeed, absolutely. Um, okay, so you you've talked a bit about the uh, coming to recognise that 
the the book was going to be um, adapted and, and interrupted, as it were, at that time. What was it like last March in general, you know, for life, you know, in, in the, the role that you're doing and the community that you're involved in? When did you realise that actually this was going to be something massive? So I think one of the things that I've hung on to over the past year is a sense that time just gets completely messed up by by this experience it both grinds to a halt but also seems to accelerate to kind of light speed at the same time in a weird contradictory doesn't quite make sense kind of way so our last service in church was the 15th of march Mm. um and at that point obviously we were doing all the the careful distancing stuff and um being very careful around around communion before um, lockdown you mean bit yeah, before lockdown even, hit on the we i think it was the 23rd wasn't it yeah um and, and i think at that point we had a hunch that that might be our last service but but didn't you know definitely didn't have a plan at that point and I remember we produced booklets to send people away with, which were mm. a bit kind of, we're in the middle of Lent. Here's some resources to, to reflect with if you find yourself not able to come to church in the next few weeks. And I remember I, I'd produced quite, um, we'd photocopied quite a lot of them and not many people took them. And I think there was just that assumption that, you know, yeah, things were changing, but how radically could they change? Mm. And then literally, I think the next morning, the 16th of March, uh, we had our first of what turned out for several weeks to be daily team meetings of our of our community worker team, um, about 10 of us, where we were coming to grips with the reality of not being able to do all the things that we usually did in the community. Mm. So our whole neighbourhood life here in normal times is, is centred around gatherings, around shared meals during the week every week you know our whole dna is about bringing people together to encounter each other so that strangers become friends and you know, i remember on that monday morning um sitting sitting in the hub our community center as a small group at that point just planning or trying to plan you know how, how do we do this differently when when we're going to have to shut our doors and yeah, over the over the couple of weeks that followed, certainly in our community stuff, it literally it felt like it changed every day. Mm. Um, and I think that was one of the one of the early feelings for us was just an overload of information, that constant sense of change and uncertainty, and constantly planning and replanning and replanning again. That you know, I think there was a certain amount of adrenaline pumping around mm. for a while that kind of kept us going. Yeah. Um, but but I remember people saying even very early on this is going to be a marathon rather than a sprint and you need to find ways of pacing yourself and and slowly I think we began collectively and I began individually to to start learning that lesson but for the kind of person that I am and the kind of work or the way we worked here that was quite a hard lesson to learn um, and I think so I've, I've talked a bit about our, our community facing stuff, the, the neighbourhood based work, but but at the same time, as a church, when lockdown kicked in, obviously, we we didn't meet and and very quickly we were having to have 
collective meetings online to to work out how we were going to go forward and as I think Ruth said when you talked to her we're we're a congregation where some of us are well connected online but many of us aren't over 50 percent of our congregation aren't connected into Facebook live or YouTube or or Zoom and so the digital route wasn't really a possibility for us mm. um, and so collectively we came up with some some guiding principles very early on for how we'd shape our life during lockdown and beyond and they're about going forward not back actually we realized that something definitive had shifted here mm. uh, going back to normal was never going to be the reality and even maybe not not a desirable uh, thing to do anyway inclusivity that actually whatever we did we didn't want anyone to be excluded so mm. you know whatever we decided our core business as a church was the kind of the core activities that that were about us being church still we didn't want anyone to be excluded because they couldn't um connect to the internet or uh they weren't able to be physically present or, or whatever actually we had to find a way of doing something which was inclusive as possible and then things like prioritizing safety it just felt like a no-brainer that that's that was top of the list for us but also a sense of integrity as well actually we want to be true to our dna as a church we wanted to acknowledge that we were quite a mixed bunch that actually there wasn't going to be a one-size-fits-all answer to any of this and we wanted to be realistic about what we had capacity to do and to to not try and overreach ourselves because certainly in in this household there's four of us uh two of whom are in full-time jobs two of whom uh, are at school and we realized as a family very early on that actually there was no way that I could do my sort of 110 percent full-time job um and be a dad be around for the kids and all of us survive you know yeah so so kind of realizing our limits I think was was quite an early realization as well Mm. so kind of going back to what you were saying about your guiding principles when mm. you said kind of safety was a top priority what, what do you mean by that what did that look like safety combined with with our inclusivity principle basically said to us that actually if a good proportion of our number and certainly over 10 percent of our regular congregation were not able to come on a sunday because they were shielding then we would not gather together on a sunday and I think increasingly over time, and certainly when some of the debates were raging within the church nationally <laughs> around kind of, you know, do we close our buildings or not, we erred on the side of caution. So we we gathered on three occasions since the 15th of March last year for collective worship in the building, one of those being Christmas Eve. Given that, how has faith looked for you as a community sure. um over the last year for you as a community but also for you as your sort of individual person i know we do faith sure. corporately and yeah. you know, that was part of a you know the um conversation that i was having with mouse last week was you know mm. the importance of corporate of faith being corporate corporately expressed um yeah. not just 
corporate corporate meeting if you see what mm. I mean. and, mm. and um, I'm still I'm still musing on that I think that was really important but yeah for for you you so you talked a bit about your you know your personal family circumstances mm. and I'm I guess I'm I really identify with that as well the sort of sense of gosh you know I feel like we're just slightly surviving here and this sort of idea of flourishing in this yeah. just feels like some yeah. pie in the sky kind of pie <laughs> idea yeah. um you know maybe you've got some <laughs> some something to say about that maybe you have felt a little bit of flourishing in, mm. um, in in those odd places but also I was thinking about um, and certainly this has been true for us, but, you know, I think your involvement with the community is really a significant part of how, how you worship together. And, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and I have really felt that one of the most difficult things for me and for us as a church community is that everything has been very, has become focused on Sunday, felt very sort of um, reduced. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I said, one of the, the things about our neighbourhood pre-COVID was that the community meals were, were a regular part of life. So one of the things that I used to say that I, I loved most about our neighbourhood was that I could, I could literally have a free meal with friends and neighbours three or four or even five times a week, most mm. weeks. Um, and so all of that stuff had to stop uh, with the first lockdown. Um, and actually, our spirituality as a church, we're, you know, we're quite informal, but Eucharistic as mm. a congregation. So Eucharist was part of life every, every week normally. But, but Eucharist in church was tied up with food sharing mm. meals as a community, as a neighbourhood. And so one of our early and, and hard decisions was that if we can't share meals together as a community as a neighborhood then actually trying to find a way to share the eucharistic meal as a church community didn't make sense there was mm. something um arundhati roy the author talks about covid as a rupture and and that our longing for normality and our longing for a return to normality may, means that we in her words, try and stitch our future to our past and refuse to acknowledge the rupture, but the rupture exists, she says. And we, I think, with our with our neighbourhood life feeling ruptured in that way, it was important for us to say, actually, we will not try and find a way of celebrating communion because that avoids, that kind of denies that rupture yeah. in our neighbourhood. And so for me... And for us corporately, I think one of the things that's characterised the past year has been absence and longing, living in that rupture, not being able to share meals together, not being able to gather together, not being able to share Eucharist together. And I think acknowledging that is where we are and, and trying to live into that as a spiritual experience in which we encounter something of God, rather than try and find a way to kind of fill the chasm or paper paper over the crack you know to just try and try and live the questions of, of that rupture mm -hmm. so I think that's been part of it you know I many of my priest colleagues have presided in all kinds of different ways in their buildings 
uh, on Zoom, uh, live streaming, whatever. I presided at midnight mass, um, mm. and that is the only time. So we we're fortunate to have a few priests here in our in our parish in one form or another. Um, so a few of us have shared the the few occasions where we have gathered for Eucharist, but that that's been the one time I've presided mm. uh, since March the fifteenth last year. And so as a priest, kind of that's a deep aching longing in me. But also, you know, simply as a member of a Eucharistic community, that mm. there's that profound aching longing as well. But I think the other side of that is that that we've discovered another way of being within that. Mm. So I think there's been a sense of being stripped back and and a certain simplicity within that. For many years, I've been one of these priests who feels a certain burden of guilt that I, I promised in my ordination vows to say the daily office twice a day. And I very rarely managed to get anywhere near that. Um, but actually, during during the past year, I've been able to say daily prayer with ordained and lay colleagues on Zoom four or five times a week, most mm. weeks. And there's a there's a small community of us here um somewhere between three and six every day who gather to say daily prayer together um mm. and that has been a lifeline mm. for me um and also i think has been a bit of a beating heart of our community during that time we have a whatsapp group that has about 50 percent of our church membership where um prayer requests are shared each mm. day and there's there's normally several each day that are brought into uh, that gathering for for daily prayer, um, and there are there are many others in our congregation who have the liturgy uh, for that daily prayer, who say it at home uh, alongside us, mm. but apart. So that's been quite profound. Um, and actually, what we so what can I just ask with yeah, that? that is that um, that sort of prayer book spirituality was that part of your sort of general church community way of engaging sort of pre-COVID or is that something new that obviously that that is part of the, our Christian tradition sure. um, but you know it, in a lot of communities that that kind of liturgical prayer book thing is is not part of it w was that part of it for them before or was that quite new that they've taken that on so for us that's been new before COVID, we managed once a week gathering um, down at our community centre, the hub for morning prayer. And we used a liturgy from urban expression uh, that was kind of rooted in, in an urban context um, that kind of made a lot of sense for us here. And we'd, we'd sometimes get up to a dozen kind of staff and colleagues and volunteers and local residents coming to that each week. But that was that was literally weekly at the most. And so, yeah, it's been a new, it's been a new discovery for us as a church community uh, to do daily prayer together. And that, yeah, that's been really significant. And, and actually, I mean, you, you describe it as a prayer book tradition, but we, we've not been using BCP or common worship. No, no, I But we, we've, we've actually found Stephen Shakespeare's uh, book, The Earth Cries Glory, a, a wonderful resource for that. And what he's done in that, was published I think early last year so we we used it just after it came out was he's rooted the liturgies in the the natural seasons of the year the seasons of mm -hmm. of the earth 
uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. And actually one of the things again that, that COVID time has done for, for us here and for me is, is grounded our prayer life and our spiritual life in the, the seasons of creation because we've had to be outdoors more so our, our most consistent monthly gathering as a church has been muddy church out in kind of bits of wasteland and woods and and a little a little stream of a river uh, that's quite nearby depending on the restrictions at the time it's either been kind of what we've called wild wanders in household groups or as individuals uh, or as kind of slightly larger groups of six when we've been able to do that and we've shared you know they, they've been another time where I think once or twice we've been able to share communion by a riverside or in the middle of a wood mm. um, as part of those and so you know I think I think I found myself getting into different kinds of rhythms this year being much more attuned to the rhythms of the of the natural seasons. Um, I've just finished reading an amazing book called Wintering, uh, which I can highly recommend, uh, which for, for me in the last month, we, uh, our daughter had quite a serious sledging accident um, at the end of December, um, was in hospital for a few days and uh, is, is still slowly recovering. Um, and so we've, as a family, we've kind of had to sort of close in at home and and just look after our, ourselves and each other and and take life very very gently and the the book wintering that i've just finished speaks of that almost that sense of hibernation and needing to needing to just sort of protect space and time and conserve energy and kind of build up energy and i think that's wisdom for all of us at this point when when actually uh, leaving aside our sort of family circumstances actually exhaustion feels mm. like it's, it's kind of just so prevalent so widespread mm. um, so and that sense of the season the author? um oh gosh i haven't got it to hand and i should have yeah. made a note of it I, I saw i saw there was a conversation this morning on twitter about it so but i didn't quite um catherine may catherine may okay so catherine that's with a K. by catherine may um, so I think, you know, that, that seasonal stuff has been really important, kind of undergirded with, with daily prayer. And actually that's helped me certainly make sense of how the liturgical seasons have felt quite out of, out of joint, out of mm -hmm. sync. So it's felt like Lent last year went on for much longer than the, the two or three weeks uh, that we had. That Holy Saturday was a a season in itself beyond 24 hours um, that's characterized so much of life mm. kind of living in that space between death and and some hope of, of new life mm. that that those great celebrations that we've been longing for in in easter and christmas have not really kind of happened in their fullness so that sense of of longing and waiting continuing in those at the same time as the seasons of the year just continue doing their thing yes yes when the seasons around us are out of kilter or we're out of kilter with them yeah and the seasons of the church are, are a whole other thing it, it can all be a little bit um like you say disjointed and it does feel quite rupturing in all those different places you can cope mm. with one or two of them not being quite in place but everything feels out of place at the moment yeah 
So, I mean, you've said a little bit there about how that faith has looked for your community and, and a lot of that has been about your own personal faith as well. Mm. Um, talked a little bit about the kind of the rupture, but also those kind of glimmers of uh, hope and new things and um, mm. different things, singing, singing the Lord's song in some very strange lands. Yeah. Um, last year um can you say a bit about how you do find the way forward so you talked as well about being a, a church community but hopefully you know in yourself as well that's a going forward rather than going back and not stitching our future to our past in that way mm. Um, mm. but yeah why keep going you know, in that rupture, it would be very easy to say none of this actually makes sense anymore. Yeah. yeah. What's the point in, in following Jesus anymore? What's the point in church and God and mm. all these things when actually they're they're just not making sense anymore? Mm. Mm. So I think um, two things have stood out for me about Jesus, particularly in the past year. One is that that COVID has highlighted quite how much my faith is an incarnational faith it's about for me it's about bodies it's about place it's about tangible interaction it's about food um and all of that you know in a sense has been about loss and longing in the past year um but the other really obvious thing about the jesus story for me and about jesus for me is about death and resurrection and i think it has has puzzled and frustrated me uh, in equal measure, both in the past year, but also over a longer time that that we as a church place death and resurrection right at the heart of what we say our faith is about. But so often we seem very reluctant to to do the letting go mm -hmm. that death involves. Um, we 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 seem to kind of. Know, particularly in, in language around growth and and the institutional anxieties behind that we seem to be desperately wanting to cling on to to a life that that all the evidence and and the witness of the spirit seems to be saying you know there are things that are dying and we need to we need to do that letting go in the faith and trust that resurrection will come and I think in the midst of, of the past year, one of the, the sources of wisdom that I found most helpful has been those theologians um, who reflect on the experience of trauma and who name something like this as, as collective trauma that, that affects all of us differently, depending on where we're positioned socially, but, but affects all of us in one way or another. And the theologian Shelley Rambo talks about a Holy Saturday spirituality of remaining, of love making its way through death, that, that lives in that Holy Saturday space where glimpses of resurrection, glimpses of life are not, you know, don't come with fanfares and, and the, the sort of grand triumphant um, Easter day alleluias, but come barely discernibly, barely recognisably, often very quietly and, and in, in fragments, but, but come as life, come as hope, come as redemption, 
And I think what the last year has done for me more than anything else is is trained me to look and listen and pay attention to those quiet resurrections, mm. those those fragments of resurrection. And at the same time to to have the courage to let go of the things that we're being invited to let go of. And, you know, some of those letting goes are hugely painful. We've lost six members of our congregation in the past year, um, mm. some directly to COVID and the others, I think, indirectly to COVID. So those kind of losses are, you know, a profound grief, profoundly painful. But there are all kinds of other losses. Again, as, as Arundhati Roy has said, where, you know, it's about the luggage that we need to let go of so that we can walk through the portal lightly, mm. ready to imagine another world. And, and I think if we're, if we're Christians, of, if we're people of the resurrection, then, then the thing that probably, the art that we need to learn more than any other during this time is the art of being able to let go well and let go with grace and let go with trust not necessarily with um with slick confidence not necessarily with triumphant alleluias um but with a grieving quiet patient humble attentive trust in mm -hmm. God's ability to bring resurrection. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I was just uh, thinking about um, some of the stuff that Barbara Brown Taylor talks about in terms of learning to walk in the dark, mm. and that those are the places where resurrection happens. That's the place where life is created. Yeah, <laughs> in the darkness, and um, that's something that I've hung on to in the mm. last year both actually in pondering some of the stuff around Black Lives Matter mm. um, and some of the language around, you know, darkness and, yeah. um, uh, and light and dark coming together. But also in that when you're in the dark, you are, you are in the dark. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's, not a, it's not a metaphor. <laughs> mm. In some ways, it, of course, it's a metaphor, but also it's not. You know, mm. you're in the dark, you're in the, you can't see. And all you have is that, just as you described it, that, that trust, but in that place of, of not having yet experienced it, mm. not in a triumphalistic way, mm. but in that patient, hopeful, trusting way, mm. um, that we are a people of resurrection, but we have to do the death. Yeah, and I think our desire to, to strategize and to plan ahead resists that. Um, and, you know, I. I can entirely sympathize with that desire because you know it's a way of trying to feel like we're in control still mm -hmm. but but this you know this is an invitation or a summons or or just an inescapable reality of not being in control and of of trying to discover a faith that that flourishes within that reality yes 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the um, the idea of of control, which we know to be, um, you know, an illusion or a delusion, this has confronted us very starkly in the last year, and partly that's how the trauma expresses itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and so. I feel that sometimes when we see the the sort of so at the moment there's some language around rebuilding, mm. and um, and I have a slight concern about that because I think we're we're still in this trauma, and I wonder if some of that, yes, there will be that time for rebuilding, yeah. you know, um, but that actually within responding to trauma we can become those who are either sort of you know under functioning <laughs> um, mm. or over functioning and mm. going into that sort of um savior sort of <laughs> sure. mode and yeah. both of those things are actually dysfunctional mm. and so perhaps recognizing the place that holy saturday has mm. um is really important yeah, now. even as we come up to our second you know easter it'll mm. you know likely be our second holy saturday in a lockdown yeah so, anything you'd like to to say that you haven't already said al jody i have a feeling that might be a really good place to to draw a line, knowing that yeah. there's always more to be said and there's always of more course, to be discovered. Of course, maybe another time. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and, and joining me today, Al. Thank you. So some great words of wisdom there from Al. I really enjoyed talking to him today. And we talked a little bit about the importance of being a people who remain in Holy Saturday and who understand the place of absence and longing uh, within our faith, and particularly in these difficult times. So I'm going to read to you today from John chapter 19. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the religious leaders, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Let others know about it, and listen on Fridays for new episodes, which you can get from Anchor or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, among other platforms. Go well into your day and may you come again soon to these doors. Music